And we're going to have a special prayer gathering together as a faith family on Wednesday night right in here at 630. We won't have any small groups. I'll be meeting here on campus or off campus. We're all going to be here together praying for that mission trip. So if you can be here at 630, that'll be terrific. If you're on that mission team, remember, we are meeting together at 6, just before. So mission team at 6 o'clock, church-wide prayer time at 630. So please be here on Wednesday night as you can take part in that trip uh, through prayer if you're not able to make it uh, to Loveland. Another announcement I want to mention uh, to you next Sunday. Uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. There's going to be a handful of people that are going to be out of town. Our missions trip's going to, our missions team's going to be gone. And so we're in need of one greeter uh, next week. If you are willing to be a part of our welcoming hospitality team and be able to greet at that front door um, downstairs, if you're able to do that, would you contact Linda Keller? She does a great job of um, organizing our greeters. So if you can get touch base with her, if you'll be here next week, even if you normally don't do it, you can just do it next week. And if you mess up, it's only one week. It's not a big deal. No one will, mat no one will care at all. It's just one week. And so if you're willing to do that and help us out, you can uh, take part in that um, as well. And then finally, I just want to introduce you to Travis and Clara Black. They're here uh, filling in for worship. They're, we're going to see them around this summer. They're going to be filling in for worship for us. Uh, Travis is an intern over at Lenexa Baptist Church in their worship ministry. He's also a student working on his uh, Master of Divinity degree at Midwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary with a worship emphasis. So we're uh, privileged and excited to have them uh, leading worship with us today. So if you haven't uh, saw some of you talking with them a little bit before, be sure you catch them at the end of our worship gathering and welcome them and say hello to them. You'll uh, be glad you did. Let's stand together. Let's have a word of prayer as we open our worship gathering together. And then we're going to make much of Jesus together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity you've given us as brothers and sisters in Christ to come and make much of you and uh, to encourage one another, to fellowship together, to, to learn and grow in our walk with you. And uh, I pray that you would help each of us to not leave here the same, that we would leave here more like Jesus Christ so we can be his representatives to the world. I pray that as we sing this morning, that we would not just go through the motions of singing, but that we would think about the words that we're singing, that as we uh, give this morning, as we worship through giving, that we wouldn't just go through the motions of that, but that we would give with glad and cheerful and generous hearts, that as we worship through scripture reading, that we would not just sit and, and listen, but that we would Allow your word to do the work in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you're a personal God that cares about our needs. We know that there are many uh, different needs represented in this room. And I pray that you would meet, meet each, needs, each one of those needs according to your will. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Praise of your glory, to the praise of your glory, 
sacrifice. In Him God has made known to us the mystery of His will, that Christ should be the head of all His purpose to fulfill. Who saves? We should. This is our holy privilege right now to worship Christ who died for us. He is our Savior and He gave up everything for us. And this is His Father and my Father's world. This is our Father's world. And we have the privilege to live here in His grace. Isn't that sweet? That is a sweet thought. Here we go. This is my Father's work, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my
I'll be reading this morning from Philippians 1, 27 to 29. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, creator of all things, we come before you this morning to glorify your name. We thank you for the promise of your presence here today and pray that our worship would be pleasing in your sight. Be with those in our congregation that need your support and comfort. Bless our mission trip to Loveland, Colorado, and we, may we be successful there in all that we do in your name. Thank you for the word and thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his precious name we pray, amen. It's extremely fitting that we should sing this song now. He just read from the word of God. There's no better book, there's nothing better than the Word. It's God's revelation to us, and these ancient words are what guide us even today. Will you stand as we sing this song, Ancient Words?
to our point in our worship gathering where we worship together through giving. And so as we give together, let's give of glad and generous hearts for what Christ has done in our hearts. Let's quote Matthew 25, 20 together, and it says this. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, that we can always trust in you. You are an abundant God, and out of your great mercy, you have given us so much. We give you this offering today. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Part of our kids ministry you are uh, dismissed to your worship time your volunteers are standing there in the back and uh, you're dismissed to that time parents you can pick them up right back there uh, at the end of our worship time together 
If you have a Bible this morning, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We're not going to actually look at Acts chapter 3. I'll explain here in just a moment. We're just going to be kind of referencing and taking a look at this part of Acts just in reference, but then we'll dive really into depth into Acts chapter 4. We as a faith family are going through a study through the book of Acts. We've gone through the first couple of chapters here we've seen that Jesus established a church. What is the church? All, all true believers, believers in Jesus Christ. So you and I, we've talked about this, that we are a part of, first of all, the global church. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world. All true believers in this world make up the church. But we're also part of a local church. And that's where we are a part of right even this very second. So we've seen that. We've seen that Jesus has given the church, his church, all true believers, a mission to accomplish. We're not just here writing it out till we die or till Jesus comes back, but we are here working towards an active mission together. And then we've also talked about the beauty of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he's going to give you power for this mission. Jesus did not leave the church just hanging for some kind of mission that we're just trying to figure out what it is, what, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, we have the Holy Spirit. We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to continue to talk about it in Acts. Because the Holy Spirit, when it shows up here in Acts, big things happen, doesn't it? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and the life of the church? Well, the Holy Spirit offers discernment. We saw that in Acts chapter 1, at the very end, they were looking to replace an apostle of Judas who had committed suicide after he betrayed Jesus. They prayed and the Holy Spirit helped them discern another apostle and they appointed a new apostle. Then we saw in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the rushing wind, the tongues of fire above their heads, right? We walked through that a little bit and we saw that the Holy Spirit came and that when the Holy Spirit comes, big things happen. And what happened? Peter preached the gospel. And there was all kinds of people there in Jerusalem from all over the world. They heard Peter. They heard the gospel that Jesus had died and was resurrected. And they came to faith. And how many people came to faith in Jesus in Acts chapter 2? Anyone remember that number? 3,000 people. So overnight, the church from, went from about 120 of close-knit believers to 3,000 then last week we saw that what were this fellowship of believers doing, doing these 3,000 people? We saw that they were, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship and taking the Lord's Supper and prayer together. That they saw God do big things through miracles. They, they all who were believed together, verse 44, they had all things in common. They had all things in common. A diverse group of people had all things in common because they were worshiping the same Jesus. They were selling their possessions and belongings, giving that money to the poor. So they were generous people. And then day by day, they worshiped together in the temple and they broke bread in their homes and they were unified. And then it said, verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We talked about that last week. We prayed about this last week, that God will allow us here at Leewood to be a part of something like that and to see that happen. Well, we see this in right here at the end of Acts chapter 2 where we left off. We see that the believers of the, uh, in the church there in Jerusalem, it said that they had had favor with all the people. 
They were getting along with the community. The community had respect for them. Well, that's not going to last forever. And today we're going to see the first step in what kind of uh, set this off. We're going to see that the church is going to be persecuted. We'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks. And that we're going to see that this favor with all the people doesn't last forever. So, here in Acts chapter 3, we don't have time to read this whole chapter. We wish we did. We don't have, have time. But I just want to tell you kind of the story and the narrative of what happened here in Acts 3. And maybe when you get home this afternoon, maybe later this week, you can read this in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John went to the temple to worship, as they often did. Remember, the church was going daily to worship. So Peter and John are going to worship, and they run into a lame man. This man was about 40 years of age. And he was lame from birth. He was lame. And so they, that lame man, you might even know the story. What did they ask Peter and John for? Alms. He was begging for money. He was there at the temple gate begging for money. Well, Peter and John didn't give him money. They gave him something better than that. What did, what did Peter say? He said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And what does the man do? He gets up and walks. In fact, in Acts 3, it doesn't say he just walked. It said he leaped for joy. That he was walking and leaping and praising God in the temple. And the people there, they were amazed. Can you imagine being there? That doesn't, that's not something you see every day. So they arrive, they've imagined that maybe you were going to the temple to worship, or like we could compare it to going to church today, and then all of a sudden, someone who is lame from birth, unable to walk, is able to walk. That doesn't, we don't see that on an everyday basis. And so they see this, and the people are amazed. And what does Peter do? He preaches the gospel, just like he did in Acts chapter 2. He preaches about the death of Jesus Christ on the, on, on the cross. He explains that to them. He explains the resurrection to them. And what do we see happens there? Peter tells them to repent. We talked about that. Every time the church preaches the gospel, part of the gospel is repentance. It's a spiritual about face. It's a spiritual 180. It's a change of life. And Peter has them do that. Well, this isn't going to go over real well with everybody there. And so that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, look there at Acts chapter 4. We're going to start reading together in chapter 1. And it says this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadduce Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Wouldn't you love to have been there? I keep saying that. I've said that the last few weeks. Every time we see something happen in Acts, I'm like, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? That maybe there's a DVR in heaven that we can rewind and, and see these things happen. The great, great crowds had surrounded Peter and John. They were preaching the gospel. They were hearing what they were preaching. And the, we could think of this as the, the temple guard there. We could, or the captain of the temple, as like the temple police. So basically, here's what happened. Peter and John are preaching the gospel. The religious leaders are getting a little upset and irritated about this. So they essentially called security. Okay? They call security in here, the temple police, to come in and make these guys stop. Well, what was their problem? And it mentions specifically the Sadducees arrested Peter and John. What was their problem? Well, in Israel at this time, as in the time of Jesus, and again, we're just talking a few weeks after Jesus had 
uh, ascended into heaven, had been crucified and, and resurrected, there were two religious groups there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, they had a lot of things in common. They held to the law of Moses. It was very important to them. They basically felt that if you kept the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, all the rules of Moses, that you made God happy. There's a fancy word for that. It's called legalism. And they, they were very legalistic people. They thought, if you do this and don't do this, you will make God happy and have a relationship with Him. Well, Jesus was constantly at war with them, right? Constant conflict there. And all throughout the Gospels, you see that. Well, there was also a little bit of differences between the two. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. Essentially, the Pharisees taught and believed that at the end of the age that all those who were dead would be resurrected. Well, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they thought that the resurrection of the dead was something the Pharisees had made up. So constantly what you had during that period of time, you had a lot of uh, leveraging and jockeying for a theological position going on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees uh, believed in the resurrection of the dead. Sadducees did not. And so you have all this jockeying and, and boxing out and trying to create leverage for each other. Well, the Sadducees are ticked off here. They are not happy. Why? Because here in Acts 3, just before, Peter made it very clear that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. So naturally, the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, they're not going to be real happy about this. And so they send the temple police, they send security in to arrest them, and that, that happens. But before they're arrested, they stop the message they're also trying to prevent a riot. Remember, there's a great amount of people. Why? Because what happened? 5,000 men believed. Now, we look at that. So the number of people who believed the gospel was, had to be over 5,000 because there was men, women, and children there. So 5,000 men. And the writer of Acts, Luke, he only mentions 5,000. So scholars and commentators believe that there were probably around 10 to 12,000 thousand people that were saved through this experience so the sadducees send temple security in to stop the message to prevent a riot and they put them in uh, prison they they incarcerate them so that they could meet with them in the morning why the morning because that's when they met but around 10 to 12 thousand people were saved would you have loved to have been there Faith Family Church here at Leewood, this is just another reminder for us, and this is a common theme throughout the Acts, that the gospel works. That when the gospel is proclaimed, coupled with the Holy Spirit, big things happen. People are saved. And that happens again. But before we go on here in Acts 4, there's two things we need to establish now about the gospel. One... Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, there will be men and women who receive the offer for forgiveness of sins and will be saved and have salvation. That will happen. We've seen this twice now. We saw it at the end of Acts chapter 2. We see it in Acts chapter 3 and 4. That when the gospel is proclaimed, people will be saved and receive forgiveness of sins. But we also need to understand and establish this as we continue on in this chapter. But there will be those regardless of how the church goes about it, who will be offended by the idea of the gospel. Because what does the gospel say? That we as human beings are sinful. We are depraved. 
people don't like to hear that. They don't want to hear that they need Jesus, they need to be saved and allow someone to have control of their life. They don't want to hear that. And so they will seek to marginalize and persecute and destroy those who would embrace the idea that we as human beings are sinful and we need to be rescued. So we have two responses to the gospel. You're going to have those who are going to be saved, those who are going to reject and even persecute over it. So keep that idea in our minds as we keep going. Let's look at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must save. So what's Peter doing here? Again, he's preaching the gospel. And I read this, I think, Peter, back off a little bit, man. You know, just, just calm down here a second. But what's he do? There's boldness there. He's preaching the gospel. So they've arrested Peter and John. They put them in prison overnight. They wait till the next morning. And they have, there's a council of religious leaders there. There's the Sadducees. There's Pharisees. There's scribes. The elders and rulers, the religious leaders are all gathered around there. And when you read this, think of the idea of like our United States Supreme Court. In a sense, Peter and John are standing before their Supreme Court. And they're going to inquire about this. They're going to try to figure out what in the world just happened. A man that was born lame, has now, uh, who was crippled, has now been healed. 5,000 oh, 5, men, 10,000 people have been saved. Something huge has happened. They're trying to get to the bottom of this. So Annas, the former high priest, was there. His son-in-law, the current high priest, Caiaphas, was there. And he was kind of like the president of the Sanhedrin, like the chief justice of the Supreme Court. So he's there. And you might, might wonder, well, why did Luke include the names of these guys here? Well, you need to remember something. Just a few weeks before, these men had taken part in the arrest and trial of Jesus. When you read in the Gospels about the trial of Jesus, you see Caiaphas mentioned. So this is a few weeks later, after Jesus had been crucified, resurrected, he's ascended into heaven. Caiaphas is there again, trying to figure out what was going on. You see, these men, they had hoped to get rid of Jesus. And they thought they had by the, by the crucifixion. Now all these people are claiming that he was resurrected. And that hope was now short-lived. They had tried to get rid of Jesus and put him out. And now they're trying to put out a mo another movement of Jesus, another messianic Christ movement. They're trying to get rid of this. So they begin to question Peter and John. And Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and again preaches the gospel again. He says there's salvation in no one else but Jesus. No one else, no, name, no other name under heaven 
given to men by which we must be saved. Their only salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Now, what was their theological position, the Sanhedrin? You work, you follow the rules, you make God happy, you receive a relationship with Jesus. That's legalism. So for them to hear this would have not been okay with them. Let's keep going. Verse 13, let's see what else is said. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they confirmed, conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whatever it is right, whatever it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had, when they had, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of all the people. For all were praising God for what happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So the Sanhedrin, they see Peter and John. They're not backing off of this at all. They've, they've said this is what's happened. It's through the name of Jesus. He's been resurrected. He was crucified. And especially they had, they had seen just this boldness. They were blown away. They couldn't believe that uneducated common men could speak so boldly. Now we need to remember the men on the Sanhedrin, this Supreme Court, they were very educated people. They had devoted their entire lives to be rabbis and scholars of the law of Moses. Education was really important to them, and Peter and John had hardly any education. What were they? They were fishermen. They didn't have any formal education. They were just blue-collar guys. They worked hard for a living. They didn't make much money. Uh, they weren't educated. And these, these guys on the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, they could not believe how bold they were. But they didn't know, and they didn't know what to do with them. I mean, you can almost imagine being a fly in the room, right? They're talking with each other. Well, they've said this is how this man was healed. He's healed. He was lame. He was 40, he's 40 years old. He was crippled. Now he's healed. Uh, something happened there. All these people are praising God. Something's happened there. So they came up with a plan. What was their plan? They told them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. Folks, there's something we need to realize. There is power in the name of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why oftentimes when we pray at the end, we'll say, in the name of Jesus, or in Jesus' name we pray, amen? you ever wondered why we say that? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And they tell them they're not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. Now, it's, when I read this, let's just pull back for a second now. Let's just pull back for a second. I read this and I think, this is Unbelievable. This Sanhedrin, they're supposed to be intelligent people. They're supposed to be very educated people. They can't disprove what happened, yet they're still rejecting it. I mean, come on. This man had clearly been healed. He was 40 years old. He had been lame and was healed through the power of Jesus Christ. They can't deny it. 
but they don't want to deal with it. They want, well, they want it to go away. And isn't that a picture of the human heart? Isn't that a picture of the human heart? We, we, we are confronted with Jesus, and we say, I don't want to believe. So let me find reasons not to believe. Or, I don't want to believe because I like being God, little g. I like being God. I like to be in control. I don't want to believe because I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to believe because I know Jesus is going to be Lord and he's going to lead me to some places I don't necessarily want to go because I think I know better than he knows. So I don't want to believe. That's the, that's the natural posture of the human heart. I don't want to believe. I don't want to believe. Even if all the evidence is presented before me, I don't want to believe. And that's what these intelligent men who've been educated, that's the position of their hearts. We don't want to believe, just stop, okay? Whatever happened, we'll just make it water under the bridge, we'll let it go, just stop. They tell them to stop preaching the name of Jesus. We don't like it. And what does Peter say? Sorry, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Still going to preach the gospel, still going to preach in the name of Jesus, and they further threaten them. But they couldn't punish them. They threatened them with punishment, they couldn't punish them. Why? Because all the people were praising God. A gigantic worship service had broken out. There was nothing they could do. So let's keep going. They make these threats to Peter and John. Let's see what happens amongst these believers, amongst this church here in Jerusalem. Verse 23. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed throughout the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed... The place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Wow. When I read that, I ask myself the question, if I had received these same threats as Peter and John, would my response be the same response as these believers? They basically, they just simply pray, Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Lord, help them not to back down. That's the prayer there. So after the threats against Peter and John, the believers pray for boldness. And it's interesting that they pray for boldness. Because I think a lot of us, if we were honest, what would we, what would we pray? God, would you make these threats stop? That's what we would pray, right? Or God, can, can, can you help the, the Sanhedrin to change their minds? That's how some of us might pray. Or we might pray, Lord, would you make this persecution stop? Or Lord, would you elect a president 
to give us to maintain religious freedom? That's how some of us would pray. That's not how they pray here. How do they, how do they pray? Lord, give us boldness to continue to preach your word. It's interesting because over the past decade or so, maybe a little longer, that has not been what the church does, is it? Right? That's not what the church does. What does the church? The church has said over the last decade, last 20, 20 years, let's soften what the Bible says in order to win people to Jesus. Let's back off some of the teachings of the Bible so we can win people over. Because really, Jesus is what it's all about. It's really just about Jesus. That, that has happened in uh, our, our Christian circles over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Let's just, let's just teach Jesus. Let's forget about the rest of it. In fact, let's twist and, twinker the, and tinker the gospel to make it more palatable or predominant in our culture. To make it easier for the culture to accept. Let's just focus on Jesus. Let's just back away from the teachings of Scripture around issues that our culture could find offensive. And to do that is to wave the white flag on human thriving. It is to say, when we back off the teaching of Scripture, it is to say, God does not know what is best for His creation. Creation is what's best, not the Creator. And so what happens is the church has backed off the teaching of Scripture, but now what's happening is being discovered. It's not, not just those issues that are offenses in Scripture. It's Jesus Himself that's now offensive. Because what goes out the window next is the atoning work of Jesus Christ. His death. The gospel gets replaced. The church over the years has replaced the gospel with doing good things to people. And we should do that. Don't hear me wrong. We should do good things. But people together at churches have gotten together and they say, let's feed the poor. Should we do that? Yes. Don't hear me wrong. Or let's engage those who are hungry. Let's do good deeds. Let's alleviate the suffering of this world. And so over the last few years, the church, the global, not necessarily the global church, the American church has focused on humanitarian efforts and they've replaced humanitarian efforts for the gospel. That's not what changes lives. Those are good things to do. Please don't hear me wrong. Those are good things to do, but it's only the gospel that changes lives. Now, should the church do that? Yes. But to only focus on that, on humanitarian needs, is to neglect people's greatest need. And that's Jesus. To simply focus on their physical needs does nothing in the long term of changing their hearts, their situation in the world around them. See, this is what the gospel offers. This is what the gospel says. It says, you're broken. Your life is a mess. Your life is a wreck. And Jesus died for you. He was resurrected to seal your salvation. You can have a right standing with God. Your, in, your eternity is impacted by what Jesus did. Jesus offers a transformed life. Even though your life is falling apart, Jesus offers a transformed life. He offers a changed worldview. Your physical situation has not just changed. You have changed. That's what the gospel does. And we need to begin to understand that our culture is not okay with the gospel. I read this passage and I think, some things never change, right? Some things never change. The human heart hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years when this took place. 
The natural position, like I said earlier, the natural position of the human heart is say, I don't want to believe. I don't want to believe. In fact, I'm going to try to find reasons for why I don't need to believe. But here's one of the benefits of the church, and we've talked a lot about the benefits of the church, that as the, as the church, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a community to belong to. We have the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to discern, because everything that the church is offered corporately, we are offered individually. We've talked about how prayer has is, is been ordained by God in His sovereignty to allow us to participate in his, in his redemptive plan. God's offered all of that, but another benefit of the church and being a believer is that the message of the gospel is not dictated on the whims and preferences of the culture. Because here's the reality. Culture changes. The gospel does not. In an inconsistent culture that is constantly changing... The gospel does not change. I was reading that this week um, in a technology magazine. I'm not a big tech guy. That's just not how my brain works. But, you know, I have joined the cult of Apple products, and I have an iPhone. And so I understand. They, they say that in every three weeks, you take from 1900 to 1950, the technology change in those 50 years, that's what happens today in three weeks. Our culture is changing it is rapidly changing. I mean, we can barely keep up with it. Like, I thought I had a nice iPhone. To come to find out, it's outdated by a couple of years. It's constantly changing. The culture is constantly changing. The whims and preferences of the culture is constantly changing. The one constant in, a, in an inconsistent world and culture is the gospel. And that is our message as the church, is the gospel. The gospel changes lives, and it, honestly, it takes boldness, and it's taking more and more boldness in our culture to proclaim the gospel. It takes boldness. We need to understand as a local church, but also as the global church, we need to understand that the gospel and doctrinal integrity is important and cannot be lost in today's world. Isn't it interesting here in Acts chapter 4, they don't tell them to stop preaching, do they? They said, listen, you can go out and teach and preach all you want. Just don't do it in the name of Jesus. Don't teach about the crucifixion and the resurrection. Just don't do that. You can teach, but don't, don't, don't make that gospel message central. But what is Peter and John saying and then the early church? They said, no, doctrinal integrity is important. It can't be lost in their world 2,000 years ago in our world today. Because if the gospel is lost, what's the point of any of this? That's what Peter's saying here. So because we have a message that changes lives, the reality is that the evil one, Satan, will do anything in his power to throw us off the gospel. He will get us distracted, sometimes even on good things, things we should be doing. If he can get the church distracted by doing good things and not keeping the gospel centered, then he's robbed God of glory. So there's two responses, as we see here in Acts chapter 4, there's two responses that we can have. One... You could be here this morning, and you could be an unbeliever. You could be, as even the Sanhedrin was, and we've all been that, in that place in our lives, skeptical. Or maybe even offended by the teachings of Jesus. Or you just don't want to hear it. We've, we, every one of us, even believers, have been at some point in that place. Can I tell you something? Jesus is good. He's a good king. 
He's loved you, he's died for you, and he's resurrected to seal your salvation. He offers you a life, a transformed life, a life that is completely different, a changed life. Then also, for those of us in this room that are believers, let's commit to, first, as individuals, to proclaim the gospel with boldness. Let's not water down the gospel. Let's not shy away from it. I've been there before in workplaces and with family members of, yeah, telling them that they, by nature, are not, uh, that they're, they're, they're sinful, that they're depraved. Like, that's not a, that's, that's kind of offensive. And, and telling them that Jesus has died for them, wants to be Lord of their life. I, we've been there. We've all been there. That's, it's not easy to share the gospel. Let's together as individuals pray for boldness to share the message of Jesus. That he came, he died for the sins of the world, and he was resurrected. Let's commit as a church together to stand on the gospel. That in everything we do would be centered on the gospel. That when we do good things, when we do feed the hungry, that when we do help the poor, it wouldn't just for, be just for human, humanitarian efforts, but it's for the opportunity to share the gospel, to offer a changed life. Because the reality of the gospel, the reality uh, is of, of the gospel is that it offers a changed life, and that is the message of the church. We are a community of faith, not just a, a community of faith huddled together, waiting it out for Jesus to come back. No, we are a community of faith that offers the gospel and is only in, as Peter said here in verse uh, 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no, under, there is no other name under heaven given, given among men by which we must be saved. Let's commit to make that the message. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what we've seen here in Acts chapter 4, and God, we know that your message of the gospel can at times be difficult to proclaim, and God, I pray that you would give us, your people, your church, the boldness to declare it to the entire world. Protect us from being distracted by good things that could get us off of the gospel, but that we would make Jesus known, that we would accomplish that mission of being the representatives of Jesus to the world. And then, Holy Spirit, I ask if there is anyone here this morning that does not know you, that does not have a relationship with Holy God, I pray that you would show them the reality of Jesus. Show them that they are a sinner separated from you, but that Jesus has come to fix that broken relationship, to reconcile them back to God. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And we'll give you all the glory for it, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Roxanne's just going to play for a minute, two minutes, and let's just take a moment to respond to this. That might be where you want to come here, kneel at the front, you can do that. If you want to stay there at your seat, you can do that and just have a time of pr private time of prayer and, and meditation and reflection on what we've just heard. Take this opportunity to allow the Word of God to change us to become more like Jesus.
Jesus, thank you for the message of hope you've given us. We thank you for the transformed life you've given us as believers. Only you could do that work. It's only through your name that we can be saved. Help us. Give us the boldness to share Jesus with the world around us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing one final song together as Travis leads us.